think about that the world is very big and your company is extremely small, so people don't know about you. So start like keeping a high activity level if you want to go anywhere. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Marketing Revisited. My name is Liam Maroney, I am your host, and on this podcast, I talk to the smartest marketers I know, one topic at a time, to learn what is new, what has changed, and what you need to leave behind to be a better marketer. And today I tackled the big topic of attribution. And if you're going to talk about attribution, you really want to get someone who understands the measurable and the unmeasurable. And I think I found exactly that in Stefan Hedebrand, who is the CMO and co-founder of Dream Data, which is an attribution platform. But Stefan also understands the dark social, the dark funnel, and is a participant in content creation himself on LinkedIn. It was a tremendously interesting episode. I hope you enjoy. Take a listen. Stefan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, Liam. I'm doing good, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to this conversation. Oh, me too. This is going to be a big one. And uh, let's <laughs> let's jump right in, in fact. So I think just to tee this up, so the, the focus of today is going to be around attribution. And attribution is one of those topics that if you're reading any marketing person on LinkedIn, and I am as guilty of this as anyone, we <laughs> yeah. have swung wildly in a few different directions. And I think, you know, certainly from my career, when I started, it was constantly chasing as much attribution as we possibly could to the mm. point that I think we became obsessed with attribution at the expense of good marketing. If we couldn't measure it, we didn't do it. Yeah. And now there's a bit of a swing back in the other direction where it is, well, you just can't measure it and there's no point in trying. And so you should just do good marketing and then eventually the inbounds will come. And I'm assuming somewhere in the middle is the truth of it. And there's no one better to talk about that than someone who is actually the co-founder and CMO of an attribution <laughs> platform. So yeah. let's start there just for the benefit of anyone who may not know you. Could you just give a quick bit of an intro on who you are and Dream Data? Yeah, and so my own background is that I've been working in B2B companies, digitally dominated, dominating B2B companies ever since I graduated university. And it's always been in marketing and growth related roles, you know, you know, started from the bottom and worked myself up to like becoming a B2B marketing leader and now a CMO at, at Dream Data. So I've, I've tried all the marketing disciplines and I've probably made all the mistakes that you can make, particularly around trusting data too much and, <laughs> or not acting enough on data as well. So I have, I have a broad range of failures and successes based out of running a data-driven or too data-driven. The reason why I ran into starting a Dream Data was actually based on my, my past experience and, and the company I was at before the Dream Data. We went through this process of you know, being less than 20 employees to around 100, spending zero dollars on every month on ads to spending around $100,000 in ads every month. And initially, you had a like, good gut feeling when you put some money in. Oh, okay, we saw a little bit more here and there correlating with what you thought you did. <laughs> but the last 10 months, 20,000 you put in there, you're like, <laughs> I'm not really sure what what's this, this is impacting or not. And this... I was left, the only option I had available to try to understand is, is, is good or bad marketing was judging the ad spend in the same month as I made the ad spend, which is, you know, for a B2B company, you know that the customer journey is not like click and buy. <laughs> it takes three, six, 12 months or something like that. But all, you know, all the ad platforms out there, they can only tell me how many clicks did you acquire? What did it cost? And at best you get like, you know, an email 
sent back. So you had that conversion to account and just knew it wasn't good enough. And I really, really wanted to impact our company positively. And the only way for me to do that with marketing is to produce revenue. And that through a local investor in Copenhagen, I got introduced to my two co-founders who had an ugly but <laughs> a working prototype that actually allowed me to see stuff I never were able to see before. They had solved this at, like, I would not say solved this attribution problem, <laughs> but at least we're able to take the data that you sit upon, glue it together so you get like a holistic customer journey, and then you can see how much revenue is produced from within the CRM system and link it all the way back to where the journey starts from. That's very different from a, like a B2C scenario where you have to click, then you have to look at the running shoe, and then somebody buys or checks out on the, mm -hmm. the workshop. And then you can send that information directly back to the ad platform. And those things you just don't have in B2B, so you need a, a more complex solution to, to look at these things. So let's start actually in where things are most fundamentally wrong with attribution right now. From your point yeah. of view, like, I mean, the, the truth is, for all the conversation that's happening on LinkedIn, the vast majority of B2B marketers are probably <laughs> still, they're still measuring in a lot of the same ways. We're still very MQL based. Yeah. There's still a lot of either first touch, last touch attribution. It's on the opportunity level on Salesforce. Like the, the hallmarks are almost always the same even today. But what is most wrong from your point of view about the current state of the way most B2B organizations are treating attribution? Yeah. I think actually they, they are wrong from a tech and data point of view. They, they think original source represents what, what happened, <laughs> but it's not. It's like it's far from it. Uh, original source captures that session when the conversion happened within and where did the person come from in this. Well, we, when we have a demo called book just on our website, it, there's an average of four sessions before the demo call is booked. And you typically see like from the start, marketing activity, like organic, paid, etc. Then maybe somebody Googling your or, you know, your brand organically and then direct, direct. From a, you know, a CRM perspective, the demo booking came directly. It was not associated with where you did your marketing investment. And that means that it's, it's you know, the CRM misrepresents what's actually going on. And it makes marketing look like an expense, a cost that actually doesn't drive any revenue, which is not true, but it's just because you're not able to glue the things together. And that means two things. One is that either the company is wasting a lot of money because they do not make that connection, or that they're like vice versa, that they're growing a lot slower than what they actually could be if they actually knew what was going on. And to me, attribution is just about, I want to win. So the best way to win is to look at what took place in the past in order to do more of what was good and less of what didn't work. Yeah, talk to me a bit more about that. So, because I think that's the bit where I think most marketers conceptually get this idea that there's all this other activity will happen before they hit that point that yeah. they're ready to convert. And, and there are some trains of thought saying, well, they're not going to do it until they are ready. So <laughs> all you can do is... Yeah put it out there, let them find it. And then once they make the decision, then they'll come to you when they're ready. Now, what you're saying sounds a lot more like, look at the 
typical way that you can influence people to maybe move faster through that process or even mm. steer them more accurately away from other options. Do yeah. you, is that reasonable? Like, do you find stories in there where there are multiple different common things like, oh, that webinar keeps popping up or that blog mm. seems to always play a role in it? Like, is it that yeah. formulaic in your opinion? There is definitely stuff that are statistically representative enough to go out and say, you should be repeating these things. There's also a lot of stuff that are super valuable that you cannot measure with attribution. You know, The way Dream Data works is that we take all the data you have available in any data silo, extract it, and organize it into a nice clean model of every customer journey. Now, we don't catch what's going on inside of a Slack group or you know, a LinkedIn DM or something like that. But we're trying to say, let's take all the information that you do have available, line it up all on one timeline, and then we can see Stefan and Liam and Paul, et cetera, are part of this journey. He did this, he did this, he did this. So it's about taking you from knowing, uh, let's say, knowing 5%, 10% of what's going on to knowing 50 or 60% or something like that. Maybe that's even too high. But it will still strengthen when you make decisions about what you should do more of. You're more informed than if you didn't do this exercise. Yeah, it it's that unknown portion that I'm really interested in. Because obviously the dark social, dark yeah. funnel is the big, big, big topic when it comes to attribution. How much yeah. of that, you know, you said 50 or 60% might be a bit high. Re realistically, how much yeah. of it, and I guess more importantly, where in the journey do you think that? takes place is it all the way across it is it heavily indexed towards front end like where do you how do you factor in dark social dark funnel into all of this yeah so actually i was looking because i put up a um a linkedin post the other day showing how many uh sales qualified leads we're getting from linkedin nowadays and i think what a lot of people who badmouth attribution is actually suffering from is that they actually are not they don't actually understand the latest like technology landscape nowadays. I know that's like a little bit of a broad, bold statement, but with the rise of first-party data and customer data platforms, you know, if you come to our website five times before you identify yourself, we've tracked all those five visits. Where did you come from? What did you look at while you're on the website? Where did you go afterwards? So we'll keep a long track record of what is Liam doing and, you know, if you come from LinkedIn three times, we'll be able to show you that you came organically from LinkedIn three times before you actually ended up identifying yourself. So I'm not saying that is grasping all the visits that you have to the website, but what you're looking to do is to build certain proof that you can actually see that your tactics are working, get that stock social or like posting a lot, social selling on LinkedIn, like we're doing a lot. Then you get the proof that you need for management, which would be so that you should continue <laughs> to to do these things. But I think, get you out. Know, it's not either or. Like, it's use your experience and gut feeling. What are you speaking to the right people here? Is it good content that you're putting in front of them? That yeah, you should probably keep doing that. Is it then you need? But then you need to figure out what's working. Is it this piece of content? This piece of content. Is it this ad or this ad, etc. And this is what you can use an attribution platform like ours to, to answer. So I want to pull back a little bit and kind of start yeah. from the start on this, because I think, you know, like, let's imagine that 
someone is starting a, a relatively new program. They've got all the pieces, they've got their blog, they've got content. Yeah. And they haven't yet sort of decided, okay, we're going to begin running marketing. Like, how should one get started with attribution? Like, what, like, because it feels like a lot of the case, or a lot of the time, I should say, it's that setup, that tech setup, the way that Salesforce is structured, like that often mm. can be like, it, it can force you down a direction. So like the way it's set up can steer the way you even do your marketing because you run what can be measured. Like yeah. if, if you were giving someone a blank slate and you said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to architect your program, what does the yeah. ideal state look like? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I think there's also like, at a given company stage, it's much more important to keep a high activity level rather than trying to analyze what you do. <laughs> you know, like get shit done rather than just sitting and looking at numbers on your screen because you just need to con <laughs> think about that the world is very big and your company is extremely small, so people don't know about you. So start like keeping a high activity level if you want to go anywhere. And what I wanna, what do I do want to say is that you want to like position yourself to be able to analyze what's going on at a later stage. So like it's a little bit like the best time to plant the tree was twenty years ago, and the mm -hmm. second best is now. And it's that it's a bit the same with the data because if your average customer journey is like six to twelve months, then if you want to understand today what's going on, you still have to wait six to 12 months or until you've aggregated the data. So make sure that everything you do in your company leaves behind, or as much as you can, leaves behind a digital trace and make sure you have access to the data and you can start to analyze it afterwards. So that means, you know, looking at custom success, does that take place inside of Gmail or do you actually use intercom, send disk, et cetera? So you get some structure to what's going on there if the salespeople are just sitting at you know cowboys with their own phones calling customers directly maybe get them into hotspot and press dial there or use air call etc you know you see so you see like you build up like a rich database of you know touches on accounts and hopefully you have some smart data engineers who can start to make a little bit of sense of it <laughs> when you get a little bit ahead later in the journey so let me ask you an interesting way of looking at this i in in a program especially if you're setting one up and if you were doing it yeah. right from the get-go how much flexibility should you leave in there for things that you don't expect to be able to measure so let's take like the podcast that we're on right now mm. it's going to be very hard beyond downloads and reach or anything to try and yeah. attach anything together like and I think a lot of the problem with attribution is that people look at things like this and they go, well, that one I can't measure, so I shouldn't Jeez. do it because I'll never be yeah. able to get credit for it. But obviously, like, it works. I mean, it's clearly impactful. How do you leave room in the program or how much room should you leave in a program for things that you just accept aren't measurable? You should leave a lot of, like, depends on what business you're in, but... We have a lot of wiggle. We have we do a lot of things you can't measure. I think much more about let's define an ideal customer profile for our go-to-market, for our marketing. Let's do activities targeted towards getting in front of the right people. Then after that, you can start focusing on some of the stuff are like quantifiable, or you need to kind of qualitatively track, which is, you know, Take screenshots of somebody commenting on your post or, you know, he's 
get the salespeople to anecdote, I heard about you from this, this, and this channel. So what I mean about the quantifiable stuff is all the ads you run. What is the traffic on your website doing? Here you have very quantifiable data about what's good and bad. But then there's other stuff that completely makes sense. Like we sell to B2B marketers. B2B marketers spend 50% of their day on LinkedIn. So of course we should try to be pretty active on LinkedIn because this is where our audience is. Or your podcast. This is a B2B go-to-market podcast. It makes complete sense for us to be here. I'm not even going to spend a single second thinking about how to attribute it. It just makes sense that B2B marketers hear about our product. But when it's possible to actually do create like quantifiable, repeatable uh, metrics about something, that is the easiest way to make decisions about what you should do more of and do less of. So I love that answer. And I think it's one of those things that it's, it's very easy to say and very difficult to get through politically a lot of the time. How... Like, how would you recommend someone account for that? Like, if you're yeah. saying like, 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 okay, we're, we're going to measure the program. X percentage of it is going to be unknown, but we know that it is talking to the right ICP in the right places. Like, mm. let's take a look at it a different way. You're very active on LinkedIn and yeah. you post lots of different types of content. There's written content. I've seen you do Loom videos showing the platform. How do you judge the success of that content? That's more like on a, let me think through. So obviously you look at who's interacting with your content. Is, is it engaging? Is the right people that gets talking about you? Right, there was like so, social circle recommendations uh, is what we look at. And then we, we can see it in Dream Data, how many MQLs and SQLs come through, all these touches. So I think it's a, it's a combination of, you know, qualitatively justifiable stuff and then quantitative. But when it comes down to it, it's, it's gut feeling. Is it the right people? Yes, it is. Is it good quality content? Yes, it is. Then we should probably continue to do it. So let me ask you this in a, in a slightly but, yeah, different actually, way. Yeah, actually, it's something Liam, I would, I would love to, and this is where I struggle with this, uh, when you get too radical about dimension, it sort of starts sounding like, as you said also in the beginning, we can't measure everything, so let's just skip it. No. <laughs> it's not an excuse to stop acting data-driven or data-informed or whatever you want to call it. You cannot just go and spend $100,000 of the company's money on something and <laughs> refuse to come with any answer that it's working. No way. Like it's real money you're spending, you're wasting the company's hard-earned money and time. So you better bring proof that this is working, whether like it's statistical from the ad platform or whether it's, you know, a hundred screenshots of happy uh, customers or stuff like that. I th on that last one, I love that because, so as a CMO, if you, and particularly a very data savvy CMO, if I were on your team and I had said to you, I want to start a podcast and it's going to be for these reasons, how would you want the results of that? The, the, the sort of the anecdotal stuff, the screenshots, like how would I present that to you in a monthly report or a quarterly review where I could say like, mm -hmm. this is how it's working in a way that you would go, yep, I'm okay with that. That feels solid, defensible. 
So uh, good question. And I don't pretend I have the perfect answer, but I, I think for a lot of businesses, a podcast do make sense. So, you know, look, I think we should start this podcast. Our ideal customer profile is this. So I'm going to name it this. The people I'm going to invite and talk to is going to be these topics that aligns with what we're trying to put on the agenda, et cetera. And then at some point I'm going to start, you know, what is the business case here? How much time will you spend on it? What do you think it can yield in terms of return here? And, and how are you going to prove that it's working? Uh, I think it's a great thing to do because, you know, content and you can recycle the content, you can push it out on email, etc. So there's plenty of ways to show proof that it's going to work. But I think I would expect you to come up with some kind of reasoning for what, what is the logical way to for, for this to make sense. Um, and then if it's working well, you know, if we think through this attribution scenario, then if you're producing episodes like this, then you put on your website. There'll be readers on this website and you will track these readers and store that in our data warehouse that pe those people were on the website. At some point, we're going to identify that they're from these accounts and hopefully we'll win some of those accounts. We're also going to share this podcast on email. So all the... You, all your followers will receive this email and they're going to click this email, some of them. And you need to start seeing those clicks on some of the sales qualified leads and the deals that you win. So I actually do think like if you, you do like state of the art tracking, then your podcast will, will start showing up in those buyer journeys as proof that it's going to work. But you know, any marketing experiment has to start to like, you know, just try it out and see. Does it look good? Do you feel that it, this is working? And then once you want to scale it, then you're going to start asking more questions about, okay, you want to go full-time on this? Okay, <laughs> then I need to like have some business evidence that, that this is a good business case for us. That's a great answer. On the, the website portion of it, I, one thing that popped in my head is there's a lot of talk of in-feed consumption and how mm. most content or the most effective content should be consumed in feed. And you're saying like, okay, well, you yeah. put things on the website. Like talk to me about where that belongs in all of this. So that was a good feeling. And like 100% agree that you want to, like people live on LinkedIn, on Facebook, TikTok, et cetera. So you cannot just deny the fact that that's where they're going to spend the most of their time. What you're using the website component for is just to build some kind of evidence that obviously that it's true, that it's a meaningful way to do a podcast, but you can't go, at least most CEOs, CFOs, you can't go to without any kind of evidence yeah. <laughs> that yeah. your activities are making sense. And, you know, you cannot battle that the consumption is going to take place outside of your website 70% of the time or something like that. And on that, is there any recommendations you would have about how not to steer behavior because it's measurable so like let me give you an example of this like mm -hmm. i've seen this happen and i've seen this happen at previous companies where yep. they did start up a web a podcast after the fact and mm. the web, the podcast was only hosted on the website and so yeah. every link that was placed on linkedin <laughs> was to drive them to the website which is yeah. common most people will try and capture as much of that measurable Good traffic. Luck with that yeah yeah how do you <laughs> how do you balance having ways to measure at least directionally without oversteering towards changing behaviors in order to have that be more measurable. Yeah. And I, 
I've done stupid stuff here myself in the past as well. I'll give you one anecdote. Uh, my past, my past company, we were like, that was like the, the, uh, the fairy tale days, days of Facebook advertising, like 2016, 2017, low competition, 180 days retargeting, et cetera. You couldn't fail. <laughs> so we, uh, <laughs> but I still, I kept wanting to like get the most out of every dollar that I spent. Uh, so. I started analyzing our data and could see that people are actually not buying when they're on their phone. They're buying on when they're on their desktop. So, oh, I've seen I, this I, one. I, I, I just closed down the spend on ad on mobile phone and then yep, yep. put all the money on the desktop. <laughs> and it, it didn't hurt the first kind of a few weeks after that, but then suddenly you just saw demand completely dropping. And, you know, as you think it through, Facebook is biggest on mobile. You plant all the seats on mobile. They come to the website through their computer and check out. So there's, it's, it's totally, it happens every day to a lot of people that they're overly depending on, you know, data and they forget to use their experience and their gut feeling. So I've always advised to, you know, you know, say these things out loud, 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 talk to your colleagues. Is this, you know, logical, meaningful? Go to ask the salespeople, go ask the CFO, et cetera. <laughs> Does this really make sense to, to make this decision that I'm about to do? I, I So, Liam, I to be honest, yeah. I think when people become overly data-driven, that's when they like forget to like think about the business. That, you know, you can only spend your money once, so like, make sure that your decisions are aligned with the rest of the companies. Uh, <laughs> targets and not just like your own narrow uh, scope of, of activities so I want to I want to take this from two different directions I want to talk about like building up so you were mentioning earlier okay you're running a program and you have to understand that it's going to take 6-12 months however long it mm. takes for these journeys to actually go through Let's start from the start of that journey. If you didn't have the outcomes yet if you knew that it was going to take 6 months for this to start yeah. to work what are those 30 day metrics, 90 day mm. metrics? Like how yeah. do I, how do I start measuring? Really good question. And it depends a little bit on, on your, like, let's say data savviness in your company. But if you, this is actually something we've enabled in dream that, that you can like cut into you completely how your pipeline looks like. So if the journey is, let's say it's six months, you cannot sit and wait for six months to wait to see whether your activities work. You want to go as close to revenue as you can, but also to a point of time where you're like dynamically can change your decisions about what's working or what's not working. Uh, so you want to find something that is a proxy for producing money uh, that could be demo calls booked. Uh, I think that's a typically a good one. Like we have just four sessions to book a demo call. So if my demo calls are going up and I can see it's not... Uh, catwoman.com or something like that then <laughs> submitting the demo forms then I can fairly safe trust that this is gonna you know, become revenue at, at a later stage so you need something that and actually I, I'm all for defending the MQL <laughs> I really like that because it's something that happens early and if you're just you know if you don't change the meaning of that word that is it is a marketing qualified lead then it's actually a very predictable resource for producing revenue at a later stage. But 
So you want to, yeah, I think you get what I'm saying there. I, I want to dig on that. So what then is your definition of a marketing qualified lead? Yeah, so we let, we have two, uh, but I think let's. I think the best way to think about a marketing qualified lead is if you think about whoever submitted this in a physical shape that you will go into the sales room and, <laughs> and present, meet this person who is my mark. This is a guy I want you to talk to. You would immediately stop to put anything low quality in there because. She doesn't want to waste the salespeople's time because, like, this is not somebody we sell to. And you've just sent me a hundred of these that are worth nothing for this company. It's like, think about, if you think about it, that sense, you would not be pushing low-quality stuff to your salespeople. It's just not going to happen. So let's talk about the quality part because I think, I think the easy part is demographic, firmographic fit. They yeah. can buy, they work at the kind of company we could sell to. Mm. Where's the qualifying layer? Yeah, and so let me tell you, our funnel is like this. Uh, first step is we call it marketing qualified when they either sign up for free or they book a demo. Then the next layer we have, we call sales acceptable lead, which means those people actually fit our definition of an ideal customer profile. And I think this is... Uh, in many organizations, what you should be measuring marketing upon, do we produce demand that looks like our ideal customers? Because you cannot be certain that the salesperson has a good or a bad day on the day that they take that demo call. Obviously, the more quality, more goes through, but you're still depending on the activities of the salesperson. So we have marketing qualified, sales acceptable, and then what we call SQL, sales qualified lead is people who we think we can sell to within a month or two. And then it's like closed one. But what I'm trying to do with my marketing is to produce as much of these sales acceptable leads as possible. Because then I, I this is activities that I can control. I cannot control, you know, timing, shape of the day, hungover, etc. <laughs> uh, Obviously, you still want to have the full funnel view. It's not like push them to the stage and forget about them. You want to see, again, go in and look at the deals you've won. What are the repeatable patterns here? And go implement that in the activities you do towards pushing new MQLs in there. Hmm. So you're, not, like you're never like blindfolded starting at one stage. Always as close to revenue as you can get. Look at the activities there. Take one step back in the funnel. What are these activities? But you, you want to learn from both sides and, you know, continuously test stuff. On the testing stuff, I, I, I couldn't talk about attribution if I didn't talk about the ad platforms. And <laughs> you mentioned earlier about 180-day windows and, you know, yeah. extended far enough and you can prove just about anything. And I think, mm -hmm. I think firstly, that's where probably a lot of my bad taste comes when it comes to a lot of attribution because sometimes it feels like, just grasping at anything I can take credit yeah. for, as opposed yeah. to looking at what happened and assembling mm. a story from it. Yeah. How how do you work in the ad platform attribution data and their return on ad spend and all the ROI that they're giving you? Like, where do you factor all of this in, or should you? So at Dream Data, we don't. We extract the cons, the clicks, etc., the stuff that they tell you, but. This, the return on ad spend, the deals, the revenue is what we, what we kind of provide you with. 
So our script sits on your website, looks at where's the traffic coming from. We can look at which campaigns is it, how, how much did it cost. But what we typically see, there's a discrepancy between what they account as clicks and the, what, how many visitors do we actually track on your website. Hmm. So they say, you got this many clicks. We say, uh-uh. <laughs> you only had de- actually these people actually who arrived to your website. And then we integrate with the CRM system as well to see if this person can then be linked to an account. And if it can be linked to an account, we can also see whether you made money on this account or not. So we get the cost component from the ad platform, but we get the revenue component from your CRM. And then this enables you to make decision on, is this ad good or bad? What's the cost per acquisition per ad, per MQL or per SQL or per one deal? All right, so I have a two-part on this one. Yeah, so go ahead. Go whatever ahead. the ad platform is saying, let them do theirs. We'll tell you the objective truth. So I'm going to force you to be a radical on this one. <laughs> what I told you what already is... I'm not radical. <laughs> <laughs> what is the discrepancy that you've seen from what the ads are saying the clicks are to what your data showed? Oh, I don't want to... <laughs> Let's just say that there's typically a, uh, there's like a 20, 30% difference between what they're wow. counting as a click as there's also some, like we only track if you actually allow statistical tracking. So if you have a ad block, et cetera, there's something there. Um, but typically, yeah. Anyway, who wants to talk about clicks? It's all about producing, actually producing contacts. MQLs, SQLs, and, and deals. And I think that's an important point in B2B. It's not about the cost of the click. It's about the revenue that it yields afterwards. I'm glad you say that because I think where a lot of people go wrong with certainly things like LinkedIn ads and mm-hmm. is that they, they gear every ad towards an outcome. Mm-hmm. I need to generate leads off the back of it. I need to try and produce as many demos as yeah. I can. And so you end up with a lot of people not doing advertising classic yeah. actual advertising yeah. for the yeah. intention of like creating awareness talk to me about where awareness particularly from an advertising point of view yeah. factors into all this because you could spend a ton of money on this yeah i'll give you an example of our of our own case we started using messed audiences on linkedin which i cannot recommend enough in your like larger deal size uh, SaaS or yeah B2B. we started using that in uh, something like december or something like that where we uploaded a couple of thousand ideal customer profiles accounts to LinkedIn. I mainly ran videos towards these. So trying to generate awareness, it's these companies who works in marketing or, pe- or people who works in marketing. And there was some actual attribution to the campaigns. Some actually did click through directly. And that is good because that confirms this is working. But what we saw on the other channels, organic and direct as well, that went more up than I what I could attribute directly to, you know, the ads that are random like against the matched audiences. So this, you know, yeah, marketing is a science and a craft. <laughs> you know, there is a gut feeling where like you need a structure writing down your activities so you know what have I done. And then you want to look at, is there a correlation with what we've seen unfolding in front of us with our data? 
I love the way you put this because it it's such a it's such a simple and yet effective answer to say that you can't measure everything, but you can measure certain things and then track correlated activities that happen around those things. Uh, one what? of the best uh, market, uh, marketing advices I got from a friend uh, a couple of months back was like, if you're in doubt whether a channel is working or not, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> if it's working, there's proof somewhere, whether it's like just weak proofs that leads are coming through or people are commenting or like, Demo calls book this going up. If there's not proof, it's not working. <laughs> and well, not to go on a rant, but let's just say I don't trust Google Display ads at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, I, we're going to come to that in a second because I feel exactly the same. I, you mentioned direct traffic, and yeah. I, when I started, I remember when I was first setting up Google Analytics instances at, at companies. Yeah. yeah. I always treated direct traffic like it was a bad thing. I had yeah. to reduce that number as much <laughs> yeah. as I possibly could yeah. because it meant that I was not tagging things. I didn't have my UTMs in place. Mm. But now there's a bit of a conversation about direct traffic is is sort of evidence of dark social and it's the dark funnel. But like, where does it fit in? How much is an acceptable amount of direct traffic and should it grow? I think direct traffic is the best proof that what you're doing in marketing is working. <laughs> People like voluntarily coming to your website or not even in, in marketing, but what you're doing as a company, product, sales, marketing, etc. People are actually coming directly to your website. This means that you're a success. <laughs> and it also depends on where, at which stage are you at when you're a new company. You cannot sit and say, mm, let me get some more direct traffic <laughs> because it's not going <laughs> to happen. So like the evolution that we've been through as well is that paid traffic was in the first couple of years our most important resource for demand because nobody knew about us. Then as you start building brand awareness, as you say, then nowadays direct has overtaken our paid contribution. Because people are actually talking more about us because people are aware they can tell each other that's working. We have a free product that product people can use without we force you to, or we don't talk to you, etc. So I think like direct traffic continuously going up is the biggest compliment you can do get as a company. Oh, I love that. That's a soundbite in itself. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I want to go but, back. But don't to... be mistaken by the CRM. Uh, you know, original source direct because mm, that's not mm. what's going on. <laughs> so, that, which leads me to what I was going to ask you. The, the last place I want to leave this is on what is either entirely not working, like Google Display Network, mm. or what should I totally discount if I if I get served? Be it ad platform saying, you know, we got you a 10x ROI, be it the opportunity source that shows up on HubSpot, be it like... Tell me where I should just block my eyes and say, I don't trust that. <laughs> um, I think like, the two places where, uh, three places that I've seen the lowest of low quality and stuff we've done ourselves and also amongst our customers is one Google Display Network, Bing Ads, anything Bing Ads, <laughs> and then Quora mm. Ads. Uh, those three places I have. I, I don't see any quality at all. 
And I've been looking at in the data warehouse, I've been looking at which country are these from? So how long do they stay on the website? And it's just so low quality that yeah, I wouldn't spend a dollar there if uh, if if uh, you know. There's probably cases where it works, but I'd, I've just not seen them. You know, even those like you can do. I think they call them custom intent in Google Display Ads, where you can like put mm -hmm. in all your competitors. So like <laughs> from the verbal meaning of what that means is that this should be super high quality, but it will still be converting with like 0.01% or something like that when people arrive at the website. Then you start inspecting, oh, people are viewing this from like within Candy Flush or like like completely like just, they're not interested in your product. They're playing a, like a mobile game. <laughs> so, so those three display ads, Bing ads, core, that's probably where I would stop spending money immediately. Fascinating. The very last place I want to put this is you can measure a whole bunch of things. You could spend all day getting deeper and deeper and more and more granular. Yeah, yeah. What are the top metrics, KPIs that you think about as often? Like what, beyond revenue, what do you spend your time thinking about? Um, I actually, I think DMQLs, uh, like, because that's the quickest way for me to see changes in demand. Like, how many is coming through every week? What is the quality of these? Which channels are my MQLs coming through? And like, if you start seeing like low quality stuff coming in, figure out where this is coming from. Can you stop these activities? Are you spending money in the wrong ad platforms, etc.? Because then you immediately can change your behavior. So, yeah, I'm a huge MQL fan <laughs> still. I, I I like that, and I respect you dying on that hill for the MQLs. But I I think it's a really good point because I think it, you know, the way I've always tried to do it from programs that I was running was that you know what your outcomes are, but you know those outcomes take time. So you have to have things that are levers that tell you, oh, it's directionally not getting there, and I can change course quickly and see it happen. Exactly. And as long as you balance that, you've got a good spread of things you can control and outcomes that you are looking towards. It's only a, a, a good path if you can wake yourself up at night and then you can tell what is the conversion from MQL to sales acceptable to SQL to one. You need to know exactly how many converts, how long does it take, etc., And you need to constantly monitor the quality of the stuff that comes through. But if we do that, then it is actually a very predictable metrics for what's coming three, months, three four or five months uh, later. So I said I'd stop, but I have to ask this one. Because <laughs> I the, the MQL one is still really interesting to me because I think there's, certainly you, you look at what's being said on LinkedIn and there's, there's the, oh, well, lead-generated MQLs have a conversion rate of 1% or less. Mm. Uh, you should be only looking at people who fill out demo requests. Like, to you, what is a good MQL to sales acceptable lead? Or what, what's a good overall conversion rate? So so we count only, like, like stronger intent conversions. So it's demo calls or free sign-up to our product. Anything before that, is, we don't even count it anywhere. And I, I've tried stuff on, you know, I've hit good rates for like collecting on need on LinkedIn from downloading an ebook. But what you find out after you get the first 100 leads in on that ebook is that there's still like a, an ocean to cross before they even just book a demo call. And I think that's when 
that the marketers have gone wrong and started calling these leads a marketing qualified leads. It's not, it's not, it's not even close to that. So you need to, you know, don't, you know, think about this physical person. Can we walk this person into the sales room and they'll be happy with us or not? If you can, then, then stop sending it towards the salespeople and wasting their time. The, the free signups is really interesting to me because I imagine there's obviously a very different conversion rate from people who take a free trial of a product versus those who ask to speak to sales. But yeah. how do you balance them? Do you, do you separate them entirely into different groups or do you blend it all together? So we, we have, they go into, we have two funnels in our CRM. So they get into the demo funnel or the free funnel and they get equally assigned to the salespeople. On the demo call, you don't have to go chase them because they've already said that they want to talk. On the free in the free funnel, you actually need to reach out to the person who signed up, but you'll only be assigned the free account if they fit our definition of a of an ideal customer profile. So, and I think this exercise any company needs to do: who is our ideal customer profile? So, all your demand gen goes toward that one. But you also force your salespeople only to spend time on these people. And you also force your, your product people only to build product for those who fits the definition. This ensures that everybody is pulling in the same direction. So coming back to what you said, if you're a free signer, if you fit our ideal customer profile, when we can see that you're active, the salesperson starts reaching out. You can call that a product qualified lead if you want, but let's stay away from the buzzwords and just say, it's somebody who looks like an ideal customer profile that is active in the free product. That's probably somebody you should speak to. That's fascinating. I think that is a wonderful place to leave it. This has been <laughs> such an interesting conversation. I, I, I have learned a ton from it. Um, thank you so much for joining. This was, this was yeah, great. Sorry talk. for not being extremely radical, <laughs> Liam. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is. You're uh... more radical than you think. You're more, you've already said, don't spend any money on core ads and Bing. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you've already attacked the two largest search engines in the world. So you've been radical enough. Just I promise you. Just show me proof that it's working now. I'll change my opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> this was wonderful. Thank you so much. Great stuff, Liam. Thank you. 